please pray with me. Father in heaven, we come before you today and we submit our hearts to you. Spirit, will you speak to us? Will you highlight the things that maybe we've been trying to hide from you? Will you encourage us in the ways that we need? Will you teach and instruct us? Because we need to hear from you today. So God, we invite you to come and to do a new thing in us, to do a new thing here. Not like first service, not like just any regular Sabbath, but that you would come and you would speak to us and encounter us and make yourself known. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've known me for any length of time, you would know that I love Pinterest. Pinterest is this website. It's this incredible website where there are photos that you can scroll through and click on them, and there are links to information about just anything in the world. I use Pinterest boards to plan my wedding. You don't know this, but every couple, these last couple VBSs that you've seen all the decorations, all of those ideas are from Pinterest. We're redoing a room right now, um, the room next to the kitchen, and a lot of those ideas are from Pinterest too. I love Pinterest. I love looking at the pictures. I love reading the articles. I love being able to categorize information into convenient boards for recipes and for house things and all kinds of stuff. I love Pinterest. But when I started and I subscribed to Pinterest a few years ago, something that I noticed is really popular is something called life hacks. And since Pinterest is primarily an image-based website, it would show you things that you're doing wrong. So there's all these articles called things you're doing wrong, 80 things you're doing wrong, 27 things in your life that you're doing wrong. And as I scrolled through these articles, I realized, man, there are so many everyday items that I use, things that I do that I'm totally doing wrong. So let me share with you some of them today. The first one is Tic Tac containers. Now I realize that not everybody eats Tic Tacs anymore, but back in the day that was the cool thing. If you showed up to school with Tic Tacs, you're a really cool person. And then everyone's going to want a Tic Tac, right? And by the end of the day, because you're shaking them out in your hand and they go everywhere, it's completely inconvenient. Until I realized that all my life I have been doing Tic Tacs wrong. Apparently, on the lid of the Tic Tac, there's this convenient dispenser thing that if you were to turn the Tic Tac container on its side and open it, it will give you one Tic Tac to give away to others. Who would have thought? I literally went and bought a Tic Tac container and it is still there. It's amazing. Another thing I realized that I've been doing wrong, ladies, maybe you would relate with this also, is bobby pins. So a lot of times, you know, we pin our hair and stuff like that. And usually what we do is we use the wavy side up, which looks really ugly, right? So why are we having this wavy side up? I found out that the right way is to do wavy side down because it won't slip out of your hair and it doesn't look so bad. So see, something else that I've been doing wrong. Another thing I learned I've been doing wrong that I actually learned from a friend but is also on Pinterest something that one of my friends observed once at the zoo. She was watching the monkeys eat bananas, and she realized we've been peeling the bananas from the wrong side the entire time. You know, usually we take the banana, we grab the stem, we crack it open, we peel it, and then there's all those stringy things that are happening. That is not how monkeys eat bananas. You know, monkeys, they take, they take the banana and they eat it from the other side. Because when you eat the banana this way, all you have to do is pinch it and it pretty much just like opens on its own. Super easy to eat. None of this like, oh, open the banana, broke it in half, spilled half on the ground. None of those problems. 
Another thing that maybe you've been doing wrong that I have, in my kitchen, because I'm Filipino, we send food home with people when they come over. So, you know, you get the plate, and you put the food on it, and you get the foil out. But inevitably, when I'm pulling on the foil, that foil roll thing is always coming out of the box. It's the most annoying thing. But apparently, on the side of the foil, there are tabs that say, press here to lock foil. And if you press them in for both foil and plastic wrap, it will serve as as like a roll dispensing thing and it won't come out. And I went to the kitchen and checked it out and there it is. So solutions to all you ladies. A couple more, a couple more things we've been doing wrong. Apparently, you know sodas, we put the straw in and it pops out. That's because the thing, the top that you use to pop it open, you're supposed to put the straw in there. So you bend it over, put the straw in there and it will conveniently hold your straw in the soda. This is the last one, I promise. Something else we've been doing wrong. If you don't drink soda, but you do have kids with juice boxes, you might have been doing it wrong also. Apparently, Minute Maid, the sides and they're taped to the side, they, they're meant for you to pop open so the kids can hold them without squeezing the juice all over the room. So all kinds of things, right? <laughs> Everyday items, things that we do, and you think to yourself, you think to yourself, man, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. And I'm telling you, on Pinterest, and you can also Google it, but Pinterest is the most convenient way. There are like thousands and thousands of things that we are just doing wrong. And I look at these items and I think to myself, how completely convenient. And I had no idea, right? Everyday things we're doing wrong. I bring this up because on this campus, for the last three weeks, Pastor Milton has been teaching us about the Holy Spirit, about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit as a being. The Holy Spirit as a being with will and emotions, with power, with all of these things. But I want to suggest to you this morning, because I think that this is true in my life, sometimes we get the Holy Spirit wrong. And the Holy Spirit is just someone who is so present in our lives, God with us, that is present, active, working in our lives. But there are things that we sometimes get wrong about the Holy Spirit, misconceptions that we have about the Holy Spirit, specifically how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. I'll share with you a couple common misconceptions of the Holy Spirit, ways that we don't fully understand how to have the Holy Spirit work in our lives. The first thing is sometimes we think, we misunderstand, and we think that the power of the Holy Spirit is supposed to make our lives easier. That that's why the Holy Spirit is there. That's why we have access to the, to the Holy Spirit's power. To make our lives easier, whether we go to work or just to solve our problems and to have power to deal with our problems. We think that's the primary purpose of the power of the Spirit. Another thing that we sometimes misunderstand and another reason why we sometimes seek the Spirit, which may or may not be right, is that listening to the Holy Spirit will take the anxiety out of decision-making. That this is why, and I can definitely relate to this one, that this is why we should seek the Spirit because then the Spirit will tell us what to do and then if, it, if our decision turns out good or bad, then it's not really our fault because God told us to. So we don't have to be too anxious about decision-making because the Spirit will tell us. Another thing, another misconception about the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit's guidance is optional. That you and I can just seek the Spirit and ask, oh, what do you think I should do? And I'll wait and kind of think, and, and you tell me, and then I'll decide if I really want to do it. It's true, we, God does not force us to follow Him, but this idea that we can kind of take it or leave it, like the Holy Spirit's an advice line or a suggestion buddy, there's something kind of off about that. There's misconceptions that we have, and we'll be talking about those things today, but the question that God has been asking me and asking me over the last couple months, actually, is this, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and I challenge you to ask yourself as well, why do you want Him? Why do you want the Holy Spirit? 
We've been talking about the power of the Spirit and, and preaching a lot about it here, but why do you want the Holy Spirit? Is it for these things? To have an easier life, to take anxiety out of decision-making, to maybe or maybe not listen to the Holy Spirit's advice? Or is it something else? Should it be something else? Today, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 8 on a man who desired the Holy Spirit. Who knew he wanted the Holy Spirit, but maybe wanted it for a reason that was not so much from God? And as we look, I invite you to see if you can see yourself in the story. I think each of us can relate at different points in our lives. I invite you to turn to me to the story of Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And this is what it reads. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So we're here in the city of Samaria, and we know that the Samaritans are religious people, and they are also people who are waiting for a Messiah. So in a city where there is religious people, people waiting for a Messiah, there are naturally a lot of people who like to claim that they're the Messiah, claim that they have all of these powers, and Simon was one of them. People called him the great power of God. He, he knew magic tricks. He practiced sorcery. We'll look later in the story and we'll see that he may or may not have been actually connected to a supernatural power because he was amazed at God's power. But here, they were following Simon. Simon had these powers, these magical abilities. And when he did them, people looked at him and they admired him and they thought well of him. Until one day a man named Philip shows up. Right before this, the church is under persecution and the church scatters and they go to different places and Philip shows up in Samaria and he begins to preach. He does signs and wonders. He teaches and he heals. He casts out demons. They come out shrieking and Simon realizes that he has totally been outclassed, that his sorcery business is no longer going to go well for him. So he decides to do what the people do. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon realizes, you know, my magic can't stand up to this Philip guy and the power of God in Philip. And so he makes an interesting decision that I really have to think about and we'll have to consider as we look at the rest of the story. He believes and he is baptized. He believes and he is baptized and he follows Philip everywhere. This is something that actually alerts us a little bit to what Simon's about. Because if you notice, it says he was astonished by the great signs. He was impressed by the power. So he followed Philip everywhere. It doesn't say that he followed God. It doesn't say that he was so amazed by God, overwhelmed by the power of God, that he turned his life around, that he said, God, take my life. God, I want to change. He was just really interested in the power. Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy that has so much more power than I do? Verses 14 to 17, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So when I first read this, I had so many questions, just like I'm sure you might. Does it mean that 
you can get baptized and still not have the Holy Spirit? Do we have to lay hands on people in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit? This actually isn't the focus of the passage, but it's important to, at least for me, to address those questions. If you look through the book of Acts, there are four times where the Holy Spirit really comes down on people. When there's a Pentecost and the Holy Spirit shows up and does signs and wonders and pours out. This is one of them, but only two of the four times involved the laying on of hands. It actually was not the norm. It was not required. All through the epistles, we see that we can receive the Holy Spirit upon conversion when we give our hearts to God. So this is not normative. It's not saying that if you haven't had people lay hands on you, you haven't received the Spirit. Because typically laying hands was empowering someone with your authority in agreement and before people went out into ministry. But what's so significant about this, what I think is so great is the reason they laid their hands on them was because these were technically Gentiles. And so when they laid their hands on them, it was an affirmation and the spirit came. It was the affirmation that the spirit of God was coming to people outside of just the Jews, that the spirit of God was arriving on people, not just the chosen ones. It's a really special thing. So Peter and John come and they lay their hands on on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now this passage doesn't tell us exactly what that looked like. We don't know, did tongues of fire come down? Were people speaking in tongues and prophesying? Was crazy stuff happening? Maybe, I mean, stuff happens when the Holy Spirit shows up in scripture. It doesn't say that, but we know that something was happening because of what happens next. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon sees these signs and wonders. He sees these apostles have even more power than Philip. And he goes, I would like to have that power too. Now I think it's interesting that he never asks Philip that. You know, Philip could only heal the sick and cast out demons. Maybe he wasn't interested in doing ministry. Maybe he wasn't interested in those kinds of gifts. But the apostles come, and with the laying on of hands, people are receiving the Spirit, and he says, I want that too. I want that too. And he even offers to pay, which makes sense for him because he's a sorcerer, and he would have paid somebody to learn how to do sorcery. But the problem is that by offering to pay, by asking for the power of the Holy Spirit for his own purposes, he's showing the state of his heart. One author writes, by attempting to buy the gift of God, Simon displayed a lack of repentance, a lack of complete turning around, a failure to reject and forsake the evils of his past. Instead, Simon continued to think and to act as a magician rather than as a Christian. He sought to influence God by magic, by manipulation, in a way that was like the heathen worship of the pagans. He came to God not asking, God, Help me be more like you. God, I've been wrong. Let me leave the evil of the past. He came as a magician. He came bringing all that he was, thinking it's all okay to bring this into the kingdom of God, thinking this is how you follow God. And he offered to buy the spirit. But don't we sometimes do the same? How many of us, we've, so many of us have been baptized, we've said that we believe. But it is actually possible for us to say that we believe in God without looking at our lifestyles, without looking at the choices we've made and the things in our past and deciding to forsake it. 
Sometimes we think we can just add God to the picture. We can add God to what's already going on in our lives and it'll make it all better. But that was never the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is to forsake all others, to forsake everything that is not of God and follow God with our whole hearts. To say, God, I'm not gonna just drag along the stuff that I know is wrong. I'm not gonna drag along my sinful nature and hope that you can be okay with this because I got baptized and I'm serving you. The message of the gospel was always for transformation. It was always to be changed. And by offering to buy the spirit, Simon revealed that he had not experienced that. He was coming as a magician for the purpose of using God's power. And don't we sometimes do that too? Don't we sometimes come to God and say, God, this is what I really want you to do for me. I really want to see your power in this area of my life. I really want you to answer this prayer. I'm not really willing to let you look at these other areas of my life, but I want your power in this area. What do I have to do? Do I have to give tithe and offering? How many of the commandments do I really have to keep? Do I have to read my Bible every day? twice a day, a couple times a week, we, we look for these barometers of wondering what do I need to do to have the Holy Spirit, to have the power of God in my life so I can do what I want to do. And this was the result. Peter answered to him, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. The thing that I love about this is that even though Simon so misunderstands, he is still not out of the reach of God's forgiveness. He is not ever out of the reach of God's grace. But we have to ask the question, why do we want the Holy Spirit? Are we dealing in magic Or are we dealing in faith? It might be easy for us to say, well, I'm not dealing in magic. I don't do card tricks. I don't practice sorcery. But the the definition of magic is actually using rituals, words, practices in order to manipulate the supernatural on our behalf. That's what magic is. And it is possible that even we as Christians might be trying to practice magic with God, trying to manipulate God and use supernatural power for our benefit instead of following God. When we practice magic, it's us attempting to manipulate the Holy Spirit through our actions or practices to use his power to my advantage. And the result is that God becomes our servant. We look at God and think, God, what can you do for me? What, how are you going to fix this area in my life? That's why I follow you. But on the other hand, faith, dealing in faith, is seeking, submitting to, and being led by the Holy Spirit, allowing God to change us and to affect our lives according to his will. And the result of that is not that God becomes our servant, and now we expect him to do these things for us. The result is we become God's servant, and we say, God, whatever you will, whether I walk through joy or I walk through pain, whether it's easy or it's difficult, I give my life to you to change according to your will. There is a significant difference there. But sometimes it is so easy for us to just be, be on the top level, to be so shallow about it, asking, what can God give me? How little do I have to give God so he can give me blessings? And that was never, ever what God intended for us. 
Instead, in Galatians 5, 16 to 18, we see what the power of the Spirit is for. Two main things the power of the Spirit is for is to take the message of the gospel all over the world. The power of the Spirit is not just for us. It is to evangelize the world. But the second thing that the power of the Spirit is for is transformation. We've talked before about how, you know, we can come to church every Sabbath all our lives and just be as mean and bitter and cruel and unhappy as people who are not believers. And this is why. Because without the power of the Spirit, we're just doing exercises. But God does not intend that for us. He intends for us to have transformation. So Galatians 5, 16 to 18 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. I find this so fascinating, because most of the time in our lives, we just think to ourselves, if I just try really hard, I can follow God. But this passage gives us a different option. It says, instead of trying really hard, why don't we be led by the Spirit? Why don't we invite the power of the Spirit not just to do stuff for us, to accomplish things that we can't do and to fix our problems, but to actually lead our lives, to change our desires so that we can follow and love God. Ellen White in Acts of the Apostles talks about the power of the Spirit, saying, having brought conviction of sin and presented before the mind the standard of righteousness, the Holy Spirit withdraws the affections from the things of this earth and fills the soul with a desire for holiness. Do you want that? Do you want that? I want that. I want to stop trying and struggling and striving and have the Spirit come and fill my soul with a desire for holiness. That's why this scripture says that when the Spirit is leading, we are not under the law for two reasons. We're not under the condemnation of the law because we are following the Spirit, but we're also not under the burden of the law of having to try to do good and work hard because we are being led by the Spirit. Our actual desires are to do what God wants us to do. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want that? That is the power of the Spirit in our lives to actually change our desires. D.L. Moody once talking to, he's a pastor talking to uh, a class full of seminarians, once held up a glass cup and said, how do you take all the air out of this cup? And all the students raised their hands. They were giving all kinds of answers. The most popular answer was, well, um, you take you take a vacuum and then you suck all the air out of it. But then he would tell them, but you know, the pressure of that would shatter the glass. Instead, he took a pitcher of water and he filled up the cup with water and he said, see, now there's no more space for air. Sometimes in our lives, in our struggle with sin, we try to suck out sins from our lives. Let me try really hard to stop doing this. I'm going to work really hard to do better. And God says, don't do that. Don't try to suck the air out of the cup. Be filled with my spirit. And when you're full of my spirit, over time and as we spend time with God and grow in God, there won't be any more room for that sin. Be led by the Spirit. But Paul, but Paul also says that, that there is the opposite of living by the Spirit. And this is what he says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hate, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, there have been times when I've read this and I've 
I've looked through it and thought to myself, Am I, have I been angry? Am I jealous of anyone? Because then I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But that's not what this verse was intended to do. It's really interesting. The first five things are the, for the Jews, the filthy five. Everybody knows that sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, they loved hearing sermons about that back in the day because everyone knew that these things were filthy. But interestingly, what, what Paul does is he takes a filthy five and he tacks them on to socially acceptable sins. Anger, discord, jealousy, envy, fits of rage. Things that people wouldn't say, oh, that's okay. But things that, you know, they're not going to call you filthy because you have it. They're not going to cast you out of the church. But what he's trying to say is the filthy five and all of these things, they are all acts of the flesh. They are all acts, not of our bodies, but of people whose hearts have not yet been turned to God. And so the result is not that we should try, try harder not to do these things, but he says, instead, consider this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, you know, I I find it really interesting. There's acts of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And the reason is because God wants us to know that these results, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, is never, ever going to be a result of our trying. You know, my husband and I, we have pomegranates and grapes in our backyard. And it seems like, you know, one time there's no fruit, and then we go outside, and oh, there's fruit now. And that's the nature of fruit. You know, it grows. It does it itself. You don't see the plants trying really hard to produce grapes. It naturally produces, and before you know it, it's just there. That is the power of the Spirit in our lives to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Not that we're trying hard, not that we're working hard, but that as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we allow the Spirit access into our lives to speak to us, as the guidance becomes not optional, but God, if you reveal it to me, I will do it. As that happens, the fruit of the Spirit become evident in our lives. We don't have to, to you know, this year I'm going to try harder to love. I'm going to try harder to be joyful. No, the Holy Spirit produces those things in our lives. And I think that is such an incredible thing because instead of us just having to try really hard to follow God, God offers to us the ability to come to him and to be transformed. So we don't just have to keep fighting the same battles, keep struggling with sin over and over and think that the rest of our lives is going to be this way, but through the power of the Spirit have victory over sin, to be transformed, not that we will ever be perfect, but that by the grace of God, we can look behind us and say, I am not what I was, not because I worked really hard, not because I'm super disciplined, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we come to the Spirit just wanting him to fix stuff. God is like, that is so like first level. That is not even what I'm trying to do for you. Your circumstances are like not high on my priority list. Your heart and who you are and your character, your victory over your over sin and your place spiritually is what I'm fighting for. That's what I died for. I didn't die so I could fix your problems. I died so I could change your heart to become more like mine. That is the power of the spirit. And that's what it looks like to live to live walking in the Spirit and with faith. So, if we want to walk by the Spirit, Scripture outlines to us some first steps toward walking by the Spirit. Obviously, it's not something that we can do, but there are steps that we can take to align ourselves to receive God. And the first one is this. We must humbly seek and surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
you know, one thing that we don't always understand that can block us from actually receiving and living by the power of the Spirit is our desire to do it on our own. It's us saying, I'm just going to try harder. If I just try harder, I can please God. No. The heart of the gospel was always, was always that the gospel is needed because we cannot. The reason we need God is because we can't. So the first thing we have to do is say, God, I can't. I can't beat anger. I can't beat lust. I can't stop being impatient. I can't do the stuff you want me to do. I surrender to you. I need you. Romans seven eighteen says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So if we want to see the power of the Spirit, it's time to turn over the power. To say, God, I give you authority to change my life. I will live my life according to your word, even if it's difficult, even if people don't understand, even if it's hard. To humbly seek and surrender to the Holy Spirit. The second thing is to pray to receive the Holy Spirit. We have to ask. We have to invite the Spirit. God is not like demons that try to possess people where they just find an opening and go in and do whatever they can. God is not that way. God waits for an invitation. So we invite the Spirit to be with us. And the best thing is that we already know God wants to do it. We already know it's his will. Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You don't even have to wonder if it's God's will for you to have the Holy Spirit. It absolutely is. Just ask. The third thing is to trust that the Holy Spirit wills our holiness and has the power to achieve it in us. That the Holy Spirit wants us, wants you, wants me to be holy, to be like Jesus, but doesn't just want it, can achieve it in your heart and in my heart. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The challenge is sometimes we ask for all kinds of stuff. We never ask God if it's his will. We ask him to do all of these things for us, but it's never part of our conversation to ask God if it's his will for our lives. But we do know it's the, his will for us to become holy through the power of the Spirit. But the hard thing to do sometimes is to trust, to say, God, I asked you, and now I'm going to step forward in faith because I trust you to come into my heart and to begin that work. Sometimes it's hard to trust when we ask God for help and it doesn't happen immediately. It takes a while and we're like, why can't I overcome this sin? What happened to the power of the Spirit? Part of trusting the Spirit is trusting the Spirit's methods, trusting the way the Spirit wants to do it, trusting the timing that the Spirit wants to use. Part of trusting God is trusting His way. And so we trust that the Spirit wills our holiness and has the power to achieve it in us. And fourth, we take Holy Spirit-empowered action. Just because the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to do it doesn't mean we just sit around and wait till we feel like being holy, wait until, you know, some revelation comes and we know what to do. No, God always encourages us to take the step forward in faith, knowing that he's working. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. First time I read this, I thought, does this mean I have to be afraid and wonder if I'm going to go to heaven? Do I need to keep working on it? Is my salvation in question? But that's not even what it means. 
It is God who works in us to will and to act, to want to. He gives us the want to, and he gives us the strength to do it according to his purpose. God's not asking us to figure out our salvation. He says, hey, I'll give you the strength and you work it out. It's kind of like if, you know, someone sent you to the store to buy something really expensive, say something costs $5,000, and they gave you $5,000 and said, hey, go get that. It's the same thing that God does in our lives. He says, you walk by the Spirit, but I will give you what you need in order to do it. So we have to take Holy Spirit-empowered action, not just wait around and hope that something is, is going to show up. And finally, to give thanks and share with others what God is doing. Sometimes, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the gifts and the power of the Spirit. And sometimes we desire the great gifts of the Spirit. We want a dream. We want a vision. We want to speak in tongues and to see all these manifestations. Man, it would be great if the church shook and fire came down on all our heads. I would love that. That would be amazing. But it is no less powerful when someone who is angry can respond in gentleness. It is no less powerful when someone who has had hurt and bitterness is able to forgive. These are also mighty acts of the Spirit. And when these things happen, we have to tell people. That's what it means in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The purpose of telling it is so that God receives the glory. You see, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's always to point to God. It's never for people to look at us or to think that we're spiritual or for us to solve our problems. The power of the Spirit is not for you or for me. It is to give glory to God. So as we walk through our lives, the invitation is always to ask God to come into this situation, not just so that we can be unhappy, but so that he can be glorified and other people will praise him. Transformation that brings glory to God and the power to go to the nations, to go next door, to go to someone at work or at school and tell them about God. That is the purpose of the power of the Spirit. So as the band comes forward, if today you haven't been sure why you want the Spirit, but you've decided that this, this is what it's for and this is what I want, then I encourage you to humbly seek and surrender to God, to ask for the power of the Spirit, to believe that he is able and willing to do all that he has promised, and to take the next step forward in faith and to give thanks. My prayer is that as we go through life, we would be less concerned about our circumstances and more concerned about what God is doing in our character.